Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 8 of Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to be reading verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And I'll stop reading there. Now, as we read this, we realize that Cain's talk with Abel his brother must have been much more than a simple talk. Brothers talk amongst themselves all the time. And since uh, we read the king talked with Abel, his brother, and then in the last part of the same verse, rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him, we gather that Cain's discussion with Abel was more like an argument, or, or he was angry at his brother. Now, when we look at the words the Hebrew words that God uses here, the word talked is typically translated as said. It's the same word that's found in verse 6, and Jehovah said unto Cain. And it's also the same word that's found in verse 9, and Jehovah said unto Cain. It's the typical word for said. Um, So Cain said, with Abel, that, that doesn't make sense. So the, the translators translated the word said as talked. And yet the Hebrew word translated as with is a word that has a variety of uses. And it normally indicates motion towards something. It's also occasionally translated as against. And talked with, in this case, would be better understood or translated as said against, or to help us um, and our ears to hear it a little easier, maybe it's better translated as spoke against. Uh, that would indicate some kind of aggression towards him. That is, Cain, um, having aggression towards his brother Abel, he, he spoke against him, and that fits with what happens later. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Well, it also tells us here in verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. Now, back... In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4, God told us it was not in the process of time, that's an incorrect translation, but at the end of days it came to pass. So we know that Cain, uh, speaking against Abel, his brother, 
is happening or coming to pass at the end of days. Spiritually, God again is letting it be known that these two brothers will have disagreement and one will be angry, wrathful, and slay the other at the end of days. And it happens, as we're told in the next sentence, when they were in the field. When they were in the field. Now, the fact that they're in the field reminds us of the parable that the Lord Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 13, it says, beginning in verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Here is the parable of the wheat and the tares that many of us are familiar with by now, and we know that God in that parable is teaching uh, about the church age, that within the churches and congregations of the world, there would be saved and unsaved. The wheat sown, a result of the good seed sown by the Son of Man, representing the saved, and the tares that an enemy sowed amongst the wheat. And Satan is the enemy. And just as we we read of Cain in 1 John 3.12. He is of that wicked one. The tares were of Satan. They were of the wicked one. Because they're a result of his efforts in, um, in, in sowing the tares amongst the wheat. Well, in explaining the parable, the Lord Jesus says... In verse 37 of Matthew 13, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And and that's the Greek word cosmos. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, now again, remember 1 John 3, 12 who was of that wicked one. Speaking of Cain, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. That's aeon, better translated as age. And the reapers are the angels. 
As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world or age, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The wheat and the tares are to grow together until the end of the age. The harvest time is the end of the age. Then God will separate them. And he He will uh, make a distinction between them. And we've talked about this before with Cain and Abel. In the end of days, God, as a result of letting it be known to both Cain and Abel, that he had respect unto one and to their sacrifice, but not to the other and his sacrifice, God made separation between them. God let it be known which one was wheat and which one was a tear. And in response, Cain is furious, he's full of wrath, and he rises up against his brother Abel, while they're in the field. And, and there, again, we can see how that relates to Matthew 13, that define the field as the world. Both are in the church, and the church is in the world. The, the churches and congregations are located in the world, where the wheat and the tares grow together, and, and it, it's in that location that Cain finally rises up against Abel, his brother, and kills him. He he slew him. And uh, uh again referring to first John three twelve where where the question is asked and I'll I'll read it again uh, just to make sure I quote it correctly. First John three twelve not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? That is, what was the reason? Why did he kill his brother Abel? Well, here's the answer of God. Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So Cain realized that his works were not acceptable to God, but Abel's works were acceptable, and and again, we've talked about this. That's because Abel's work wasn't his own, but it was the work or the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that justified him. And Cain was trying to trust in his own effort, and that is always an evil work. No matter what the work is, if someone thinks they can get right with God based on their own merit, their own doing, their own effort of any kind in response to the law of God through keeping it. If they think that will justify them, that's an evil work. It, and, and it will never justify them. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. Disappointed, uh, angry, Cain rises up and kills his brother. Now, 
God tells us about the death of Abel in a couple of places. One place is in Matthew 23. And this is a little unusual uh, because of um, how God words it and and how he charges certain ones with the guilt of Abel, with the guilt of his blood. And, well, let me just read it. In Matthew 23, it says, and I'll begin reading in verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because ye build the tombs of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, Ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets, and wise men, and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And I'll, I'll stop reading there. And we wonder, why is God, the Lord Jesus is God, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees and and saying, as he's speaking to them, that upon you will come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. When we know that Abel is killed by Cain in um, maybe a couple of decades from the creation date, we don't know the exact date. We know the exact date the world was created was 11,013 B.C. We know that Cain and Abel are men, they're, they're not, um, little boys playing together. They're not teenagers. Uh, they're, they're men. They've grown. That means they could be in their twenties or perhaps their thirties. And, and so it, it's early on in the history of the world, two decades, three decades into the new creation. And now we have the first killing, the first murder. Cain rises up in anger and slays his brother Abel. Well, Cain did it. Cain's responsible for it. He's the guilty one. Yet here God is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and it seems as though he's laying 
the death of Abel at their feet, along with this other uh, man named Zacharias. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We know Abel was the first, and it's, it's as though God is saying from the first to the last. And uh, to the English reader, it really comes across that way, because Abel begins with the letter A, the first letter of our alphabet, and Zacharias begins with the letter Z, the last letter of our alphabet. But, but of course, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, that's not their last letter. And, and, and so it's not really meant to be A to Z, but that's the way we do receive it. But it is meant to be an all-encompassing statement from Abel the first to Zacharias the last. And again, though, we wonder why the Lord Jesus is addressing these scribes and Pharisees and and saying, upon you um, will come all the righteous blood. Well, there's an answer for that. Um, Back in verse 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. It's, It's the generation that really is being addressed. In verse 36, Verily I say unto you, unto you, unto who? It goes on to explain, All these things shall come upon this generation. Jesus is addressing the scribes and Pharisees, but they are representing this generation, and it's the generation of evil. The generation of the wicked one, just as uh, there's the generation of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is also the generation of the evil one. These are the generation of the unsaved people of the earth. And their generation began at the fall into sin. Way back in the Garden of Eden. And continues until the the very end of the world. And the end of the world occurs... After 13,000 years of history, according to the Bible, the Bible um, emphasizes the number 13 in relationship to the end of the world. And here with Abel, we're clear, we understand, yes, he's the first of the righteous of the children of God to be slain. And Zacharias... We read about him in Second Chronicles chapter 24 and beginning in verse 15. It says, But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days. When he died, a hundred and thirty years old was he when he died. And Jehoiada's death age is significant because a hundred and thirty is ten times thirteen. It, it points to the completeness of what's in view. In this case, 13 is directing us to the end of the world, to the time at the end of the church age, because we'll, uh, we'll read that uh, Joash, the king, was a young boy when Jehoiada took him under his wings and and lifted him up to reign, and he did 
good all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Therefore, Jehoiada is a type or a picture of the Holy Spirit that enables the churches and congregations who Joash represents to do well all the days that the Holy Spirit is with them. But when Jehoiada the priest dies, that's as though the Holy Spirit now leaves the church. And and that occurred in year 1988, the 13,000th year of Earth's history. So Jehoiada dies at the age of 130. And then let's read in verse 17. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of Jehovah God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass. What happens after 13,000 years exactly in the year 1988? Judgment begins at the house of God. Wrath of God comes upon Jerusalem is another way of putting it. Or Judah. As it says here, when, when they left the house of Jehovah, and, and so, wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass. In verse 19, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto Jehovah, and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest. Now, he's called the son of Jehoiada because he's a descendant of Jehoiada, could be Jehoiada as a grandfather or a great-grandfather. But anyway, it continues, uh, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of Jehovah, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken Jehovah, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stone him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of Jehovah. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, Jehovah, look upon it and require it. Require it. When Zacharias died... His blood was shed, and at that point, he's calling out to God that the Lord look upon it and require it. Well, you know, we we read something interesting concerning the blood of Abel in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, it says in... Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That, that means that Abel's blood is speaking. Abel's blood is speaking. In, in Genesis 4, the Lord goes on to say in verse 10, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Abel's blood upon his death was shed, and it went into the earth. Whatever blood came out of him, it flowed forth into the ground. And God 
course, seeing and knowing everything about the entire incident. He knows full well everything Cain did and, and what happened to Abel. But God sort of um, personalizes the blood as though the blood has a life of its own and the blood itself is speaking. It's the voice of Abel's blood. As Hebrews twelve twenty four says that Jesus' blood in that covenant speaks better things than that of Abel, but still that indicates that Abel's blood is speaking. And Zacharias also was speaking at the point of his death, the Lord look upon it and require it. You know, it, it says in Psalm 79, which is a psalm of Asaph, it says, beginning in verse 1, O Jehovah, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. And and a little further down, it says in verse 10 of Psalm 79, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants, which is shed. The revenging of the blood. And that is the cry of the saints of God. The cry we read about in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long? Well, from Abel to Zacharias, from the beginning all the way to the 13,000th year of earth's history, to the end of the world, as that year began the Great Tribulation, and really the end of the world began, which is a, a, a phase, it, it's not an instantaneous thing. The end of the world is actually in stages, and that began the the process of the end of the world, and the time when God would begin to avenge the blood of Abel, all the way through to Zacharias to avenge the blood of his saints, beginning with the house of God, as, yes, Jerusalem has been tremendously guilty in spilling the blood of God's people in uh, the Old Testament. Israel was often involved in slaying the prophets, and the New Testament church drove out the true believers, and and in that way, they also slew God's people spiritually as, as well. Um, through church history, we know that many were burned at the stake for the sake of the Bible. 
And who burned them? It was at the hands of the church. So Jerusalem itself is involved, but it is the kingdom of Satan, Babylon. If we go all the way back, that is always involved with the slaying of God's people. And the Lord pointed this out in Revelation 18, verse 24, speaking of Babylon. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.